It's a full staff here at No Driving Gloves this week. We've got everybody in the house or in the studios or on the mics at least. How's that married? Hey guys, how's it exactly. going? Exactly. How's that married life treating you, Derek? Awesome. Quit lying. Hey, you're married too. I've been married for like almost 15 years. You hadn't even been married 15 days. Yeah, I see. So how's married life treating you? Oh, I have an awesome marriage. Well, see, yeah, there we go. We're both yeah. awesome in marriage. Yeah. I Perfect. picked, uh, luckily, I picked the, the the right one the first time, you know? I just was going to say Will's just too... Hey, just because some of us can't do that. <laughs> Will's, just, Will's just too smart to get divorced. Well, there you go. Actually, actually, she probably picked me, and she puts up with my crap. You know, that's honestly how it works. I mean, it, it takes a special kind of woman to be married to an avid car guy. That That's all he does is cars, cars, cars. Your phone rings at 2 o'clock in the morning because your buddy in California wants to know something, you know? So, yeah, it takes a special kind of woman to uh, to put up with a guy like me. That's for sure. Well, us car guys are very unique, and it it does take a certain someone to tolerate us i've found that if i just do the house projects that are requested of me between the car projects all is good that that always helps you know putting a pool in the backyard major brownie points for me so you know but you can afford that because you haven't done the divorce thing no i can afford it because my my grandfather to be honest with you (laughs) I was going to say something, but I'd have to edit it out anyway, so we'll just leave that alone. And it was not family say, friendly. It was, it was not. Family it was friend. not about your grandfather. Well, good. <laughs> Did it involve a street corner? No, it didn't. No. So we know Derek's been busy. Yes, sir. Freshly married, freshly honeymooned. He's had some posts or something from the from work pretending he's been at work, but we know he's been busy hey, enjoying the new I got to his I, time with the new spouse. I got to be a boat captain on that trip. Come on. I got to I got to drive a boat around. Hey, you know oh. something you missed? It was awesome. Wouldn't that be pilot a ship? Pilot a ship, captain a boat. I don't know what it is. But it was awesome. You missed one of my good buddies, Jerry Dixie. Uh, they did a week-long tour of uh, the week before the Tri-Five Nationals in Bowling Green. And one of their stops was the Corvette Museum. And Dixie is uh, he <laughs> he's a card, man. He's a good dude. When was he there? Um, I can't remember exactly what day they were there, but it was the week leading up to the tri five nationals. Um, so that would have been two weeks ago. So it was a bunch of, it was what they called the tri five tour. They all met in Bowling Green and Bowling Green was kind of their hub. Oh, I was there. Oh, was you there that day? I was there that day. They all, they all parked out in the front circle. Yeah, 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 yeah. Dixie was the ringleader. He's kind of a, a older feller with a little bit long hair, probably wearing flip flops. 
Yeah, I didn't I didn't meet any of them. If if somebody would have told me that somebody was going to be there, you know, I usually go out and introduce myself and make people feel welcome, except for when Will shows up, I try to avoid oh, him. God, you're good at that. Um, yeah, but, you skipped town the last time he came. Exactly. Well, Craig, I, I learned the I first time. I honestly thought you were gone that week. I thought y'all had, y'all had already gone, so my bad. Yeah, well, it just goes to show how much you don't care about me, that you don't pay attention to my work schedule. Well, you know, it is what it is. The feeling, the feeling's mutual, I'm sure. Well, you guys just need to start putting that up. You need to start putting that up on the Google Docs folder, and we can all share that amongst each other. And Let's just, i tell you what, let's just put our schedules on Facebook so the whole world knows what we're doing. How about that? We could do that. Yeah. There we go. I promise I will not be where I say I'm going to be. I was going to say, you're the most open. I'm, I'm behind armed security most of the time, so I'm good. Yeah, we've got security too, so I, I'm all good. Well, did anybody do any car stuff in the last week or couple of weeks in Derek's case, or do we want to just kind of gently roll into... Uh, some sort of direction for the show. Can I go non-car related, but yet transportation related? And it's not the boat. Don't worry, guys. It's not. It's not the boat driving. Fire away, brother. Captaining thing. Fire away. So we were able on the pseudo honeymoon. I'll call it. We're planning a bigger honeymoon for next year. Just. So everybody knows we just kind of took a vacation after the no, wedding. No, 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 no. Um, not that anyone minute, cares, you, but you took you took your honeymoon. Now you're planning a vacation. Your honeymoon has to be okay. Sure, we'll go with that. Whatever. Yeah. All right. Fine. I'll, we'll we'll accept that. But we were able to get a tour and viewing of the Hunley. If any of you guys know what the Hunley is. I do not. Is it no? a museum? Neither of you. No. Well, there's a, a a museum being kind of somewhat built around it. The Hunley is the Confederate um, submarine that was the first submarine during the Civil War to sink a ship. It was the first submarine to ever sink a ship. And uh, they pulled it up out of the harbor in Charleston back... Um, in 2000, ah, crap, I've already forgotten. I think it was around 2009, maybe. And uh, they've been, it's its near the naval base there in Charleston. They've got a special building set up for it. Um, it has a, a special tank that it is in that um, normally they, you know, overnight and then over the weekends, uh, they have it in a... Uh, chemical solution to help desalinize the cast iron of the submarine the cast and wrought iron um, construction of it and uh, during the day when they're working on it during the week they actually drain the tank down and they actually do the conservation treatment of the submarine so we got a a pretty cool tour of that and I, i i had to talk about it because i've been waiting for years to be able to see the Hunley and, and see the project that's being done on it. And, uh, 
it, it's somewhat transportation related. I mean, yes, it's a underwater vessel, but um, it was uh, it was pretty exciting to see. And of course, for me, I geeked out on the conservation treatment of it, um, which was pretty cool to see. Holy so. cow, man! That thing was that thing has came a long way, hasn't it? Oh, guys, you need to Google search this. Yes, this is crazy. We'll put some stuff up on the uh, good old Facebook social medias for it so that it's e- more easily findable. And be sure to like us while you're looking at it on our Facebook. I will, and I will send John some pictures that I took while I was there because uh, a lot of times you don't, uh, if you're there on the weekend, um, it's it's actually in the solution, the chemical solution in the tank. Uh okay, yes, I work in museums. I I have some connections. I was able to get in when they were closed and actually see it with the tank drained and people working on it. So I'll even get John some pictures of uh, the pictures I took of it with the tank drained so we can post those up. How, how big it looks, it looks fairly large. It's actually not only um, seven guys were able to fit in it. And they sat on a wooden bench um, along one side of the the submarine, and there was a literally a crankshaft that ran in front of them, and it looked just like a crankshaft with throws and everything. And but they were the pistons, so they would spin the crankshaft to make the propeller turn on the sub to make it drive. So I should say it was six guys doing that. And then there was the captain of the ship who was using the, you know, controls to make the submarine dive and, and, you know, do everything it needed to do, um, to make it function as they wanted it to. Man, that is cool, cool, cool right there. Would they be doing like a, uh, time-lapse video of the cleaning of that thing? They, yes, they're doing, I'm pretty sure they said they had time-lapse video. They're also doing a lot of, you know, in any conservation project, we do a lot of photographic documentation. So there's constantly photographs being taken uh, so they can show the progress of it as it, it goes through the treatment as well. Man, that's awesome. I'd like to go see that. Yeah, and it's quite amazing because when it was brought up, of course, it was coated in what they call concretion, yep. which is basically the sand and sea life and everything that has packed around the cast iron and basically turned into almost concrete. And they, you know, have slowly been chipping away at it, getting it off. And pretty much the whole exterior of the submarine is now had its concretion removed. There's still some on the in. in you know, interior of the sub that they're working on removing. But, you know, it's it's interesting because as they move the concretion, as they remove the concretion, you know, they have to that night then soak it in the solution to pull as much of the salt out of the cast iron and wrought iron pieces as possible. Because, of course, as soon as it's exposed to the, you know, open air and the oxygen, that salt and everything just immediately starts even just steel or in this case iron starts corroding so they have to kind of do this constant cleaning of the the vessel so that it doesn't you know corrode as they're working on it 
and say back in my time doing the Titanic artifacts and the, the doing the desalinization, it's such a touchy, long procedure. Um, I mean, I can't, I could get into it, but it's, it's not the easiest process in the world. And it's, it's something you can't miss a step or if you, you make a mistake or one night you forget to do something wrong or you get the pH levels off, you, uh, you've destroyed, well, a couple hundred years of history in this case. So do they have a replica of it out front? Uh, the replica is out front of the Charleston Museum, okay. which is in downtown Charleston. Okay. Uh, the the sub itself is out uh, north east of town a little bit at a, the facility. Okay. Uh, yeah, but the Charleston Museum is actually considered the oldest museum in the United States. Really? It's it's also a pretty fantastic museum. Great collection. What an awesome deal there, Derek. That was cool. It was fun to see. I highly recommend if you're in the Charleston area and you're there on a weekend when they're open to the public, go see it. Because if if you are interested in the history of transportation in general or just interesting American history, that's probably one of the coolest pieces from the Civil War um, that that still exists related to that type of warfare. I want to go with you and get the behind the scenes look. so when you go back let me know okay all right probably next year all right let me know i may meet you up there yeah i'm gonna have to look i'm gonna have to look into this uh zara enjoys enjoys that coast if i could let me try that again zara enjoys that coast it could be a neat little weekend excursion and i'm kind of curious to see which uh conservation company has been brought in to uh, assist with the preservation because a lot of times the museum doesn't handle that. They go to a third-party subcontractor. That's a lot of what I did in my previous job. We went in and did this stuff for the museums project by project because of, again, being or the requirement of such precise expertise on handling each artifact or each portion of it. You know, go back to what I know, Marine, in Titanic, you know, we had metal conservators and wood people in and paper conservators and just everybody in their own little special specialty comes in and tells you how to treat the brass or the iron or the steel or the aluminum or the paper or the porcelain or the leather or, and so on. And, well, I'm sure a sub doesn't necessarily have all those niceties. It's... I can say it's a very fragile thing, and when you screw something up, you screw something up. And they actually, John, just so you know, they didn't bring in a, any third-party uh, conservation team. It's actually Clemson University. Oh, sweet. Um, their team of scientists and conservators, are uh, they've, they've hired people to actually do the project. Like, you know, staff of Clemson University basically is, is involved. Is it part of a uh, preservation degree or a pre- preservation program within uh, Clemson or is it just a. Uh, it's, I think it's the like archeology span and anthropology program. Yeah, that would make sense. That would follow, follow into that. Yeah. So, Hey kids go into archeology span and anthropology too, and you can do cool stuff. 
honestly, it's a pretty cool career if you don't mind not getting paid a lot, but seeing some really cool stuff and visiting exotic locales. Oh, kind of like building hot rods then, huh? Yeah, kind of like building hot rods or... <laughs> it, it, Oh, building hot rods and it's like being in the marines without the ability to kill people <laughs> oh lord so now that we've wasted a good 15 minutes on shoot that wasn't, naval history that wasn't wasted that was pretty awesome man i didn't remember us talking about my naval we're not going to either nope <laughs> Naval jelly is some sometimes used as a rust remover in automotive restoration. Yeah, that's pretty. That's kind of reaching there. Usually, on naval jelly is usually typically only used on aluminum situations, though. But it's still used. Hey, I, I'm reaching here. Well, yes, but aluminum corrosion, not not typically any of your iron corrosion. So you had a crazy idea and a kind of a, a soapbox you were on when it comes to four-wheeled above-the-water um, topics, wasn't it there, Derek? Um, you had uh, seen an article on, uh, I don't know how to say it, and gently work our way into it. Some of the new... So basically it was an, it was an article on factory tribute cars uh specifically focused on the uh new announcement from Aston Martin that they would be reproducing uh, basically a tribute to the James Bond DB5 and it it kind of got me to thinking about you know, if, and the whole point of the article was, does the idea of factory tribute cars in some fashion kill the nostalgia factor or, you know, the memory factor in some way of the original cars? And it, it just kind of got me thinking about all of the different factory tribute cars we've seen and the... Uh, we'll call them continuation cars and you know some of the i'm not sure i guess i i would just call most of them continuation cars i don't want to call i don't want to bring we've we've talked about replicas and recreations before uh which i think kind of fall into a different category uh than you know factory tributes or factory licensed continuation vehicles i think this is a different realm that we're in because the factory themselves that built the original car or you know are are building a new tribute version or in some cases they've licensed someone to build a continuation tribute version and it just kind of got me thinking about you know the article talked about you know the nostalgia factor does it kill it does it change it and it just thought it might be a good topic for us to banter about for however long we can ramble on about it well the article when i read it i guess i know we read the same article because i read your link but i read the article completely different than you and it was i took it as 
the author's asking, basically, does this Aston Martin DB5 Goldfinger reproduction jump the shark, uh, to use the old term there? It's We can talk about the factory continuations and recreations and that are authorized, and I think that's where the bulk of this conversation will go. But I can kind of agree with the author's point of view. This one's over the top. It's a you know it's a DB five, and I can't remember how many they're going to make. And they're two point seven five million dollars a piece. They're I think they're going to build ten or twelve of them. I think that's the number. It could be twenty. And they're recreations of a movie car, not of a DB five. It's not a continuation of a DB five. It's a continuation of the Gold, Goldfinger car, which was a one off thing. And is it ridiculous that we're building the Goldfinger cars, which is interesting because there's the there were three of the cars, if I remember correctly, made for the movie. One of them got stolen and nobody knows where it's at. One of them is actually up on the market for sale right now. I believe the other one's in a private collection. But. If it's a factory authorized continuation car, do we need to put the ejector seat in? Do we need to put the fog in, fog, the fogger on the back? Do we need to put the machine guns in the front or replicas of each or trying to recreate that? I agree with him that this is this is a money grab by Aston. I can go with building 20 more DB5s and selling them for $2 million a piece and letting people have a new DB5 at least to race or to enjoy or to figure out how to put on the road because these James Bond cars are not street legal either. Uh, they won't be, because they don't have any of the safety concerns. There's not a leftover VIN number. Or they can't pretend they are 1965 cars. They they will be 2018, 2019 model your cars and can't be operated on public roadways. So they're just overindulgence for somebody who's got $3 million laying around, which somehow in this world today, there's a lot of people with an extra $3 million. Um, please look us up on our Facebook or Instagram. If you've got an extra $3 million, we can make one heck of a podcast. But I, I do believe this is jumping the shark and really pushing the continuations. The, this DB5 is crazy. It's been done. Jaguar's done it with a lightweight uh, E-Type. They had a couple leftover VINs. They've done it with the XKSS. There's a little bit of controversy there, but I can say those cars, they're at least not building movie cars they're just finishing off the production runs of what they were supposed to xkss production was interrupted by a, a fire burned down the jaguar factory and was at 57 or 58 and a lot of xkss's were lost they never restarted the line because they were only going to build a few more and so that production ended and jaguar's just finishing up the production there so yeah i can buy into that story the lightweight E-types, they were supposed to build however many, 10. They had only built six, so they built four more. And they just did that recently. And yeah, it, I still think it's trying to get a little bit of money because uh, these are multi-million dollar cars. But at best, they're probably break even for the manufacturer. We'll get into some of the others as we go. But uh, 
you have opinions, statements telling me I'm nuts? No, I, I with with the Aston Martin, the the Goldfinger DB5, this whole thing. I read the article and and maybe I read it and at the same time, you know, I talk about does it kill nostalgia? I, it it probably was what was all going through my mind as I read this. Uh but as you say it doesn't it doesn't make sense. You know, it's it's as you say a money grab. I mean, even in the article, they say, well, what are you going to do? Drive it around in your driveway for your family to sit and watch? Uh, or something to that effect is what he, he says in the article. And it's, without getting too, I guess, philosophical, I mean, it's really, to me, when you talk about this, it's, the way they're building it, what they're doing, you're building a sculpture in the end because it's not something you can use. It's not something you can take out on the road. It's going to sit in your garage in your private collection and you're going to be like, oh, wow, look at how cool that is. But on top of that, you know, it's not going to have a, albeit movie prop projection uh projection ejection seat it's not going to have albeit prop machine guns and all those things likely not going to so in this case it it really doesn't do anything for me let's say it's it's hard to for for me to imagine spending you know two and a half, three million dollars on something like this and not be able to use it as an automobile as it really should in, be intended to be used. Now, when we get into some of the other tribute cars, we can talk more about that kind of thing. But this one just, I don't know, it's its really kind of weird. Well, here, here's kind of the part that, uh, you know, I think it's kind of neat to be honest with you. Um, it is automotive history, whether you like it or not. Uh, yeah, it was a car from a movie, but still that is a very iconic car. So, uh, you know, I think it's kind of cool that they are kind of recreating some of these things. You know, it, it gets a little buzz going about the the car that, that this was built after, that this was designed after. And then, Ultimately, it's just going to drive the value up of the original ones. You know, oh, I bought this new one. Let me go get an old one to to match my new one. You know, so I'm not a big history buff. I, I do like I do like history, but I'm not just you know, uh, you know, I don't just go home and watch the History Channel and and hope they you know. Um, but I think that that is kind of neat that they are trying to get people to remember the past. So, um, so in my opinion, I, I think it's kind of neat. Uh, even, even some of the other, whatever we want to call them, tributes, recreations of, of movie cars or, or, you know, the trying to recreate the, 
you know, the GT350 or whatever, you know. Um, I don't know. I, I think uh, I think it's kind of neat, to be honest with you. Okay, I want to I want to throw I want to throw something at you, Will. I, I want to throw something out at, at Will here because just just to see your kind of thoughts on this. Does it take away from the uniqueness of the original car? So it, what I you know thinking about the the gold finger car, but bringing it back to, you know, American icons as well, you know, essentially this is tech, truly a British icon. Um, you know, think about the original Batmobile built off the Lincoln Futura concept car. George Barris, you know, customizes the thing, whichever side of the you know fence you're on, whether he ruined the Lincoln Futura or he built the cool Batmobile, uh, you know, a lot of people have replicated that original Batmobile. There are recreations of that car, a lot of them running around. Does it take away a certain uniqueness and specialness, if that's a word, of the original Batmobile when you can go around to other you know, collections and car shows that people bring their recreation out and have it on when you see the original one and it looks just like that recreation, do you get the same feeling of, Oh wow, that's, that's the Batmobile because you've seen five recreations of it somewhere else. To, to me personally, do these cars in this case take away from that kind of, you know, unique, iconic, nostalgic feeling when you see the original to me not at all not at all because if it's not a real one i'm probably just going to walk right past it and and i feel that way just about every car and i know john's a big kit car guy but if it's not the real deal it's not the real deal you know you're faking you're a poser you know yeah i get that you like the batmobile and you wanted to build one because you couldn't afford an original one. That's that's great. You know, I that's cool that you were able to do that. But to me, you know, it it I to me it would make me want to have an original one because the more recreations that are made, it's going to make the original worth more to me. Yeah, um, but see what's ha- what's happening here is a little bit different. Is okay, George Barris built built the Batmobile. And there's one Batmobile. Maybe there's two two Barris cars. And then people go on and build their own recreations and do it themselves. But George Barris didn't go back and build another dozen Batmobiles. And that's what's, what Aston Martin is doing, is they sold the DB5 to a movie studio in 1964, who went through and modified the car. So it's really, you could say Aston Martin supported that. And now they're going back and saying, okay, we're going to build another 20 movie cars. And I think that portion is wrong. Now, if I wanted to have the James Bond Goldfinger car, I don't have $5 million to buy the original provided it's, you know, available. Like I said, I think there is one available right now. I don't have five or seven million dollars to recreate it. 
or to buy the original, but I could go out and spend a million bucks and buy a DB4, DB5 and then have all this stuff added and do it myself. And it's different if I'm the one creating it as opposed to Aston Martin doing it. It's kind of like the DeLorean Motor Company, which for those that don't know, a gentleman bought the DeLorean Motor Company's remains, all the parts, all this, everything. And his main office is out of Houston. I also believe he has one in Los Angeles or somewhere in California. And he's actually doing Back to the Future tribute continuation cars. You can buy a turnkey DeLorean off of him, which I guess is okay because he's still using parts that were built for DeLoreans. But there's a continuation car for you. But he's also doing the movie cars. And a lot of people have done the movie cars themselves. And I think it's one thing if you make an a reproduction of a movie car yourself, or I hire, say, Will to build me my own Back to the Future car, my own Batmobile, or I think with the same example I used in our replica episode, I can have him build me a replica of Godzilla. But it's wrong if, to me, if Barris goes back or if Boyd Coddington goes back or even DeLorean Motor Company goes back and builds these cars that really, do they belong? Do they need to be built? They did the original. I think it takes away from a little of the value of the original because, okay, I can pay $5 million or $6 million or $7 million for the original, or I can pay $3 million for a reproduction by the factory. So it's almost as good as the original. So it might, t- you know, in a, a car that's $7 million, there's a pool of maybe 150 guys that want it. They build 20 more of these cars. You've reduced that pool from 150 to 140. And supply and demand, the the, few, the less demand, you know, the more supply and the price goes down. And I think that's where what that's where this Aston is wrong. And this is where Aston is wrong in making this DB five as a James Bond car. I'd have a lot different feeling if they were just building DB fives. But there's still only X amount that were either in the movie or built originally. You know, I mean the, the Batmobile in 2013 sold for $4.2 million. You know, with all the other Batmobiles built in the world, it still sold for $4.2 million. And it's going to be the same way, you know, regardless if somebody creates it in their backyard or if George Barris was to build more of them. You know, the original is the original, and you can't replicate that. I don't care what you do. And the, the, the consumer knows that. So... You know, I don't think it's going to decrease the value of the original ones that were used in the movie. And I still will say I think it does, and we can play that with, uh, and it's it's not, well, it could be continuations because he's the master of it. A Cobra, a real Cobra, 260, 289, 427. Million to two and a half million to five million, depending on which model, who owned it, who sat in the seat, but... Let's just say they're all $3 million cars. There's a massive market for the replicas. It's the second most replicated. The Shelby Cobra is the second most replicated car in history. And 
what does the fact that there's thousands of replicas from backyard junk boxes to aluminum bodied Kirkums that are or CSX continuations from Shelby, you know, I'm going to I know people that are extremely wealthy that have net worths of nine figures and they don't none of them. Well, one of them owns a real Cobra, but most of them own replica Cobras. They all are capable of buying a $3 million car if they really wanted to. Some of them have multi-million dollar cars, but they have replica Cobras. If you didn't have this replica market on Cobras, what would be the value? If they didn't have a thousand other cars to choose from, would all of a sudden that put them in the market for a $3 million Cobra, which would now make them maybe $3.5 million? Does it really hurt that feeling? Does the problem my friend that has a real Cobra goes up, you know, his biggest question, is, the first question he's always asked, is it real? Uh, when I was at Barrett Jackson interning 20 years ago, we had Cobras there. And that was the biggest thing that, oh, is it a real Cobra? And people would, you know, check them out. And, oh, you can tell because it has knockoffs or it has these gauges or well, you can do that with a replica now and make it exact. I just... I, 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 it, if you're going to, I don't think replicas done by the original builders are a good idea. Uh, replicas have their place. They do keep interest. You know, more people know about Cobras than would without all of the replicas. The same thing with Lotus sevens, the same, you know, I did, you know, Will has his obvious visions on this. I have my obvious well, what what have the original Cobras done over the past 15 years? They have increased in value every single year. The replicas are decreasing in value every single year. So, I mean, you know, I don't know. You can look at it both ways. I, I see your side, John, but they keep going up. Year. They, they I had go. this exact conversation today with somebody about a uh, Ferrari replica and that if you buy this car in a fiberglass body and pay a couple hundred thousand dollars for it and have a Ferrari drivetrain, that car will probably depreciate. But another manufacturer out there who does a replica of this car does it in an aluminum body. And the original car is, I believe, 10 to $12 million. And there's only two or three of them in the world. But the guy that does the replicas in aluminum and utilizes a period Columbo V12 in them, etc., and builds these, he sells these cars, he gets between five and $600,000 a copy. You, on the used market, though, they go for a million to about a million two. Because he has an eight to ten year backlog of production. If you want one today, you have to buy an existing car. Hence, they sell for more than what he sells you the car for. And when you have, you know, you have this car, you have these cars being built. It again affects, I think, the value of the original. Would that original be a fifteen million dollar or a twenty million dollar car? 
if there weren't 40 other alternatives to go out and buy that look just about like the original thing. It, on certain markets, I think it hurts. On other markets, it, it, it I, I understand where you're saying that the cars are still appreciating. I just think a lot of them would appreciate faster or have higher values without the replica market. Well, that, that Ferrari deal you were just talking about, I don't know which car you're talking about. I'm not a big Ferrari buff, but, you know, if you said there was, what, one or two of them? You know, you could replicate 100,000 of them. But to the guy that wants the original, it doesn't matter what it costs. If he wants it, he's going to pay for it. If, you know, and and to the guy that's like, well, I'm not going to pay, you know, $4 million for that car, but I can afford, you know, half that for one. Okay. He can't afford that anyway. He don't have that type of money anyway, generally. If to the guy that really wants it, it doesn't matter. It it doesn't matter. But this is, and I mean, this is uh, obviously we're all in, 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 you know, in in full kind of speculation mode here because Correct. it's all what Correct. if, what if. But you know, in, in kind of the uh, you know inverse of that, you know, to what you're saying here, Will. If there were no continuation series for of this or copies, replicas, whatever we want to call them of this Ferrari, and there were only two in the world, and you're saying, you know, the guy that that wants the original is going to go after the original no matter what, and that that's very true, you know, and and the historical significance is always there with the original vehicle. You're, from a museum standpoint, you know, yes, that's the way as historians, curators, conservators, we look at it. The original is the original. It is the you know, epitome of that. Ve- you know, I mean, it, that is the vehicle. There's no yeah, question. You anything. cannot copy that. You cannot. I don't care exactly. who you are. You can't copy right. you, you, the paper trail and the history of it. You can make one look right, like it, but, but it ain't it. Now, if, if say it's a one of one or a one of two, whatever, you know, in the case of this Ferrari, one of two, one of three, whatever. One of those originals come up to auction. Okay, they go, you know, Monterey Week is going on right now as we're recording this. It'll obviously be over by the time it, it goes out. But say one of the the two original Ferraris go up for auction at, you know, uh, let's say Gooding Auctions this weekend at, at Monterey at Pebble Beach. And there are no replicas. There are no, and obviously this is speculation, but there are no replicas. There are no continuation versions. There's no anything out there. There's only two in the world. Is that not going to lead to more people wanting to bid on that car and driving the price up higher because you're getting into a bidding war over, you know, between multiple people that want the car? Rather than if there are these 50 to 100 copies, whatever it is out there, where, as John said, there are guys that could afford the original. But 
well, there's some really great copies and I'm just going to go get that. You're going to actually, what John's saying is you're going to take some of that market. You're going to take some of that, uh, you know, desire and that, you know, interest in the original, you are actually drawing some of that away. Not all of it, because there are still the collectors and the historians out there that want that original car, but you're still taking away some of that market because there are more affordable replicas out there. I mean, we, in all honesty, and I know you guys, I don't know if John paid much attention to it or has read much on it, but this has happened in, you know, furniture collecting over the years. There's been, you know, really great copies of early furniture made and it, for a while, it drove the prices on the originals down because people looked at the copies and said, hey, that's a really good copy. Not many people are going to tell the difference. I, so I, you know, I, we've, I agree. we've seen it play out in other collecting, you know, collector worlds. I I, I agree with that. Mo- most of it in a, in a sense. Um I could see where it allows more people to have that car and they're like, well, you know, I can just buy this one instead of spending $10 million on this one. But, you know, we're talking about two cars, you know, in a, in a two car world like that, the, the guy that wants that original, he's not going to settle for uh, a fake one. He may have a fake one too, that he drives and enjoys, but if he wants that original car, it, it doesn't matter. And there's going to be more than one person wanting it. So, you know, I think, and I honestly, I honestly think that the replicas have probably drove the price up on the Cobras. I know that may sound crazy, but it it it, it makes the public more knowledgeable about this iconic car. And to somebody that's not a car guy that don't know, he sees all these running around. Well, that's a fake. That's a fake. I'm just going to go buy me an original one, you know? So, you know, it could actually be the opposite and drive the value up of one of the originals. Well, y'all laughing at me? You got your mute button on. <laughs> you said something in there that I want. I was trying to put my thoughts back together because all of a sudden I'm going to defend your point of view. But I... <laughs> oh, what? <laughs> what? But I can't remember what you said that I want. How I was going to defend it. There you go. It must not have been too important then, right? <laughs> No, I, I get because I think that's the same reason I was being so quiet is because there's there's I think there's a valid point on both sides. There's valid arguments on both sides of this that it brings awareness to it. Uh, you know, and, and maybe it does create some more interest in, well, you know, all those guys have fakes. I want an original. But then I think we have to look at how many people in this world truly can afford, you know, the original of some of these vehicles and how many people out there are actually, even if they say, 
oh man, those are all fake Cobras. I'm going to go get an original. When they go try to get the original and find out the price tag, how many of them turn around and go get one of the replicas? Probably about 90%. <laughs> you know, I mean, to be honest with you. But man, there's there's guys out there that, I mean, John has several friends that are that are very, very, very wealthy. And, you know, I have some customers that they don't care what it costs. This is what they want. And this is how they want it. They're not even really car people. Most of the, most of the cars that we build, I mean, obviously there's some sort of a car person. If not, they wouldn't be spending that kind of money uh, on something with four wheels, but they're not car people like we are car people. You know, we go to bed at night and we're looking at car stuff. When we get up in the morning, the first thing we look at is car stuff. We work every day around cars. That's our life. And to me, that's a car guy. You know, he can't, you know, he can't go, you know, an hour out the day without thinking about something about his car, his buddy's car, or, you know, drag racing, NASCAR, whatever. Um, and that's, you know, most of these guys that I work for, they're not quite that way. So, and they spend mega money on having something built the way they want it. And I see it being flipped the opposite way. If they, if these guys see something they want, they're going to go get it. And if they want the original, that's what they're going to go buy. And I finally remembered how I was going to defend you. And I've kind of said it earlier in the show that I can see the benefit of the replicas keeping the public educated and keeping the cars in the mainstream. You're right that Cobras may benefit a little bit or the desire to have a real Cobra benefits because of the replicas, the desire to have, I have a lot of friends in the Lotus seven world and a lot of them have sold their caterums or their Birkins or whatever to get a real Lotus seven because they want to have the original at some point in their life. And a, while you were talking in that last second to last uh, monologue, you brought up that awareness. And I think a perfect example of the public being aware and driving the value is taking place this weekend in Monterey. The most expensive car in the world is expected to sell at Monterey this weekend, somewhere north of $40 million dollars our most expensive car at public sale, and it's a Ferrari GTO. And one just recently sold, supposedly, in private treaty sale for $60, $62 million. So either way, the Ferrari GTO, potentially the most expensive car ever sold in the world. The Ferrari, or excuse me, the Cobra Daytona, to even keep it in that Cobra family, is a rarer car, is probably just as successful on the world stage. It doesn't have as many small race wins as Ferrari GTOs, but is definitely the American equivalent of a Ferrari GTO, but it doesn't have the Ferrari Panache and stuff. But it's also, up until the last 10 or 15 years, was a forgotten car almost. You know, they were selling for two, three million dollars 15 years ago, if I remember correctly. I don't have numbers in front of me. I could be slightly off. And now they're up into the teens. 
but you can't, it's not Ferrari GTO money because it's not red and doesn't have a horse on it. But it should be, in my opinion, a 30 or $35 million car. It will appreciate to that at some point. It's just as good as the GTO. It has just as many kind of wins on the world stage as the GTO. And it's even rarer because they only built eight of these, seven or eight of these, as opposed to, what, 32 GTOs? Some, somewhere around there. I don't have my numbers in front of me, and so many numbers go through my head when it comes to cars, I do get it wrong. But it's that, that equivalent. They built one-third as many of these Daytonas, but it just doesn't have the value. And again, I think as the Superformance and the Factory 5 Cobra Daytonas have begun to sell and people have been educated on them, the value has begun to increase. And okay, the replicas replicas probably aided to that increase in value because people became aware of the car. So there is a good defense for Will's side of the argument that the the replicas keep keep them at that forefront or keep people, the buyers educated that, hey, this is kind of a cool car. Well, I can have the original. And then somebody else goes, I want to have the original. And it does get them to a certain plateau. But I think once a certain plateau is reached, then the values start to stagnate because of the replica market. So hopefully that's a nice way of saying, Will has some very valid points here. Like I'm (laughs) the judge and jury of it all, but but I'm still wrong. I'm not going to say you're wrong, but you're not as right as. <laughs> you're just not as right. Will. Uh, I'm just not, no, I, I, I'm just not going to get the last word in this. Uh, I can already tell. <laughs> but I think that was that. I think that's the point of this discussion is, what are the sides of this? What what does it mean? I, I mean, we wound up talking a lot about, you know, market value of the car because of replicas and, and tributes and things like that and uh, how they might affect the market value. Uh, you know, but we also did talk about the nostalgia factor and, you know, to a lot of us, the original is the original and it will never lose that factor. It will never lose that special place it has in our that value. Yeah. Well, but I mean, I think in that case it has to be an iconic movie car. It has to be an iconic car that has had a very special moment in its life uh, oh yeah I, I, I agree 100 percent. you can't go recreate a chevy cavalier you know what i mean because it's pointless <laughs> yeah yeah but you know i mean so i think there's multiple things to look at when you're when you're talking about a tribute car or a replica you know not only just the you know and, and with some cars like the cobra replicas there's a certain nostalgia there because 
for some guys, those are the cars they grew up watching racing and they knew they could never obtain at the time because they were race cars. They were purebred. They were out there being driven by Carol Shelby and all those great guys. And I mean, it was just unobtainable that, I mean, those cars were unobtainable at the time when they were growing up and as they got older in life and they had some money, they didn't have the millions of dollars it would take to buy one, but they had the money it would take to buy the replica. It's the way they, you know, reminisce that nostalgia in their life. They now own, yes, it's a replica, but man, this was the car. This was the type of car I used to watch and dream about. And so there is a nostalgia connected there as well. And yeah, it's not an original, but, it 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 ties that you know moment and that memory together in that case so there's just so many sides of this discussion that you know there's effects on market value there's uh, sometimes there might be an effect on you know the the iconic feature of a car though i think as as will and i and john have said you know to those of us that are are true you know, uh, truly passionate about the car hobby and the cars that exist and the histories they have, they'll never lose that iconic, uh, you know, status with us. Uh, but there's also a lot to be said about, like I say, the replicas and, and allowing people to connect to that nostalgia that they remember from their childhood. Uh, this is probably about the last thing I say because I know we're about to wrap up. But um, I wish everybody would go out and buy a Cobra replica. One of my one of my pretty good friends owns uh, Unique Motor Cars in Gadsden, Alabama, and they've 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 made a pretty daggum good living building, you know, fiberglass Cobra replicas. And I wish everybody would go buy one. To be honest with you, and, and keep keep them rolling the way they're rolling. So, because clearly Will know, I, has I have, stock in that company. <laughs> no, I don't. I don't. I, you know, and I think you're, you're, you're absolutely right. The guys that grew up watching those cars race, you know, who wouldn't want one? I mean, they kicked everybody's butt. They were fast. And, and, and then you got the iconic drivers driving them. So yeah, I, you know, I totally get why people want, a replica car 100%. So I don't, I don't want anybody to think that I'm, I'm knocking your replica or anything like that. I'm not, uh, you know, there's, there's a purpose for those. And my, my wife, perfect example. She would love to have a replica Cobra. Um, so will I ever own one? I, I, I don't know. I, I'm not going to say yes. And I'm not going to say no, but, um, I totally see why people own them. And I, you know, I think it's pretty cool that people own. And if he ever does own one, it'll have a coyote engine in it. No, it'll probably have a Chevrolet motor. (laughs) (laughs) I'm kidding. It will have a Ford motor. It will, it will have a Ford motor, probably a 427 side holder to be honest with you, but you know. Oh, come on. Put an EcoBoost in it. That would be pretty cool, honestly. So, anyway, I think replicas have their place. I'm not knocking your replica. I just 
don't think replicas hurt the value of the original. And somehow we did get this episode. We totally missed where Derek wanted to go with this and talking about talking about bullets and <laughs> things like bullet Mustangs and Grand Sport Corvettes. But that's what this show's about. This, this, that's usually what happens. You guys when, don't like when my topics. I get together with my car friends, or Will does, and Derek does. We have, we all have, um, I can't think of missions sometimes in our conversations, and that's kind of where our topics go. But and sometimes you get deviate and it deviates and deviates a lot, and that's what happened this evening. You got if all three of us were sitting at Waffle House at one in the morning after a Motley Crue concert. And we started to chat this way. It's very much, this is what we would have conversed about. And that's what we want this show to be. And you're just sitting in on the three of us discussing replicas. And granted, the show started out. I still think replicas have their place and there's a use for them. Will said it. I'm a kit car fan and, or a replica fan. And I don't have a problem with them. I just have a problem when Aston Martin goes and builds replicas of a movie car they have no business building. And that's, there's where my problem is. I'll even give them a pass if, like I said, they did the DB5 continuation. But don't go build Goldfinger cars. You've jumped the shark. You've missed the point. Values aside or whatever, this... I don't want to say it, it sounds bad, but in my opinion, it's kind of a money grab. Let's do something cool. Let's get a few people to give us a bunch of money. We'll make a hundred grand a car and we'll go on our merry way and we'll get a lot of press. And people will talk about Aston again. And, you know, they've just introduced some new Aston Martins, which are frankly really, really kick ass cars. I just don't have a quarter million dollars for one. So that that's where I I say with that I'm going to say good night and then I'm going to ask Derek to say good night and we'll let Will close out the show so he does get the final word this evening. So good night. Oh, but I have so much I have so much I still want to talk about. I'll just throw this out to the listeners just and and they can comment on our social media. Think of it in this aspect. Aston Martin is rebuilding a 1965 Aston Martin DB5 movie car, replicating it as a 1965, whereas Ford Motor Company, when they wanted to do a tribute to a movie car, they just made a bullet edition of a brand new Mustang to honor what the movie had done. To me, that's the way to make a tribute to an iconic movie car. Just make a, the new one that is street legal and tip your hat to that icon in that way. Have a good night. You know, who who's right, who's wrong? You know, I'm I'm sure there's uh right and wrong on, on both sides of this. So why don't the listeners when when this airs, let us know what you think. Tell us tell us if you're on John Derek or my side, you know, and, and it may be somewhere in the middle. So you know, let us know what you think. 
And if you have any more topics you'd like for us to discuss, um, I'm sure we can create an argument out of it. So um, let us know. That's it. I'm out.